Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Renewables. I'm your host, David Smart, Chief Commercial Officer at Biostar Renewables, and uh, have the honor of being joined by another David, David Weirs, the president and founder of Satori Energy. David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. My pleasure. It's uh, it's an honor to be here and certainly appreciate the opportunity to, to share some stories with your listeners. Great. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time and um, have known your company for a little bit now and uh, have really enjoyed getting to know some of your um you know, employees and and how you guys go about doing business. Uh, I've been very impressed and and really appreciate that. Uh, but before we dive into Satori and what you do and sort of the history of the company, um, and tell us a little bit about your history, which probably was going to include some of the company you founded 21 years ago. Tell us about your background and how you ultimately came to found Satori Energy. Yeah, thanks so much, David. I I always tell my team. You know, try to take two to three nuggets of information uh, away when you're investing time and bettering yourself. So certainly hope that your listeners on this podcast today are able to take a few a few nuggets of information that they can use in their own lives after listening to this episode. So a little about my background. I started my career with Anderson Consulting before it was actually Accenture. And my manager recruited me to join him at an energy consulting firm in Chicago. This was in the year 2000. So at that point, ComEd customers were first switching over uh, and really having the choice uh, to select a deregulated uh, supplier. That firm that I went to had established a demand side practice and was just kind of dipping their toe into the supply side consulting business. So I was uh, in the right place and literally got in uh, at the ground level uh, when those first customers switched away, which was actually in late 99. So at that point, I I took that job as an analyst, uh, stuck my nose in a rate tariff book to understand how customers were being charged uh, and how they would be charged if they did switch away under this new deregulated environment. Super interesting. So the really the back to the beginning uh, of deregulated electricity markets, and you were one of the first firms in the country to emerge after the energy markets deregulated. I believe Texas was first. Uh, when did you know that you were going to start your business and, and talk about kind of what that looked like? Yeah, great question. Certainly, there were various states that deregulated in different tranches, some only industrial customers, some the entire market like Texas. Um, in, in Illinois, we had various tranches where the customers were able to switch away based on size. So I, I had been working for three years uh, in this newly deregulated uh, market. And I, I found that there was an opportunity to go downstream uh, to really create value for mid-sized or smaller businesses. And so at that point, we were a consulting firm that would, would charge a customer $10,000 to run an analysis and to show them what the savings opportunity could be. Uh, really, that consulting model was, was prevalent at that time. 
I, I realized that there was probably a greater opportunity to touch more clients and have a greater impact by offering what we now call the brokered approach. So if you think about this, way back then, 2003, if I walked into a bowling alley and tried to convince the owner to pay me $1,000 and I would like likely save him three to 4,000, he or she would probably tell me to go pound sand. But if I walked into that same exact customer and said, hey, you don't have to pay me anything. My company will take the risk, will perform the work, and I'm pretty confident that we'll be able to create value for you. Now, I only get paid if I'm successful and the supplier that you select pays me. That's a much more compelling offer to the business owner. So once I, I kind of processed this information and, and my then current employer was not interested in that downstream business, it wasn't long until I, I started started Satori Energy. Uh, and I was, I was 28 years old at that time when I filed the paperwork. That's awesome. And was it just you or how many employees did you start with? Yeah, it was just me. Um, I, I, I was doing everything early on. I, I quickly realized that I needed to hire an analyst uh, and also a, a salesperson that I had worked with previously. So shortly thereafter, there were three of us. Um, I think back to that time, David, and I was uh, meeting with clients, reviewing the pricing, creating the processes for book deals. I was actually also doing QuickBooks for the business at that time. And I, I realized that's probably not the highest and best use of my time. So I, I actually called my old college professor and said, I need to hire an intern for the summer. I uh, went up to Carthage College where I went to school and interviewed six or seven different people. Ended up hiring one of those individuals, then persuaded her to stay on. Uh, after the summer, during her senior year of college, then offered her a full-time position. And 16 years later, uh, Ashley Cuccio is still my controller for Satori and our affiliated businesses. That's awesome. I'd love to hear a story like that. And how many employees do you have today? Yeah, so today, uh, we've Satori's done a number of acquisitions over the years. So, you know, when I look at that, that category, I'd say Satori and affiliated companies total almost 60 people. So we, we have decided to keep brands like Energy Next or Energy Solutions or AGE or Atlas uh, on and continue those brands for various strategic regions. But all of those kind of fall into that affiliation of, with Satori. And I believe there are 14 deregulated states. Is that right? Are, are you working in all 14 of those states or select states? Yeah, there's, there's um, the, you can count the District of Columbia and then there's 17 total and different states have uh, various levels of, of opportunity for customers. But yes, we're working in every state that deregulated on the electricity side. Nice. And, and let's just take a step back uh, for our listeners and viewers who may not live in a deregulated state or may not know exactly what that means, um, we, we have a lot of listeners and viewers who are in the industry and, and a, a good chunk as well that aren't necessarily in the industry. Um, so tell us what it means when a state deregulates its energy market, what changes and how does that create an opportunity for a business like yours? Yeah, thank you. It is a it is an interesting. You know, people hear deregulation and they think of different things depending on their age, whether it was the airline industry or or other industries. And so when we talk about electricity deregulation, 
each that that legislation needs to be passed on a state by state basis. So what they're actually doing is unbundling the actual generation of the electricity um, from the delivery of the electricity. So if you think about you know, the home that you live in, your listeners live in, you've got small low low, volt, low voltage wires that are delivering that electricity to the home uh, or to the business. That's still done by the incumbent uh, utility. And I've got a diagram that you can use and include in the show notes for the, for your listeners. But effectively, customers have the opportunity to select their supplier of that generation services. Local utility continues to be responsible for the delivery, the meter reading, any reliability issues. Uh, customers that maybe if there's a tree that falls and some power lines come down, you'd call the local utility for that. That doesn't change. So uh, I guess in summary, the states that have deregulated are really giving those ratepayers the ability to choose their supplier and a rate plan. And it's, it's in some ways transferring risk from the utility to the customer. And when I say transferring risk, I mean, I mean this. Those customers in a regulated environment, say the state of Wisconsin, you get the bill and you pay it. You can't choose to can't choose to to uh, move to a different supplier. Uh, you're stuck with the the local utility. That local utility is going to charge a regulated return on their investment. So in a de deregulated environment, the customers do have choice, but they also take on a, a more risk because, like we've seen last month in Texas, August of of twenty three, uh, the the power cleared over 20 cents a kilowatt hour. So if a customer wasn't managing their contracting process and they were just paying the market, they really would have got stung. Uh, comparatively, customers could have locked in at six or seven. So it gives you a, an order of magnitude there that it's probably three times more. So also interesting story for any of your listeners that are uh, history buffs. Enron was the company that really was responsible for the spread of deregulation. And they put a lot of time in uh, and resources and money lobbying these states across the U.S., telling the story that deregulation would produce two outcomes. One, provide choice. And two, lower costs to consumers through competition and innovation. And I think looking back now, 20 plus years later, uh, you know, there was a lot of things that happened in Enron that were not good, were not good outcomes. But I think those states that have chosen to deregulate can look back and say those things did come true, those two items. Sure, absolutely. For us in the solar business, it's interesting because we like deregulated states, um, you know, from a obviously a regulatory and legislative standpoint, they tend to be more favorable to customers generating their own power on site. But they also tend to be significantly more competitive when it comes to cost of power. Uh, so that makes it a little bit harder for us. We have to compete with that, you know, ach achieving that sort of grid parity. Uh, so it's an interesting um, point you make. And I, I do think if you look back at the last 20 years, we look all the time for different customers uh, and different sort of classes, industrial, commercial, whatever it may be. Uh, that they have been historically very competitive in the deregulated states and they have not suffered as much. Uh, some states, there's exceptions from, you know, 
substantial price increases over the course of the last 10, 20 years. So I want to get into, you You mentioned a little bit kind of managing the contracts. I want to get into here in a, a, a little bit more of what you really do for your customer. I, I know you go and find them opportunities to save, but I think there's a lot that happens in between renewals and, and probably touch points with your customers. So I want to get to that, but you were acquired in 2021, excuse me, by Priority Power. Talk a little bit about that experience and and what that's done for your company. Yeah, ha- happy to. Uh, thank you. So uh, uh, maybe first by start by saying that uh, we developed a niche uh, in the market for acquiring smaller books of business, and we did uh, thirteen acquisitions over a, a ten year period. Um, wow. Many of them were rolled into Satori. Uh, and just those contracts were renewed through Satori. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, a few of them, we kept the brand uh, for various reasons, really strategic reasons. Um, but um, Priority had reached out to me and said, you know, have, let's have a conversation, you know, be interested to see kind of what you're doing and, and maybe see if there's any synergies there. And so um, we, we went down that path at the end of 2020 and I really wasn't looking to sell the business. I really like the team of, of, of people that we've assembled. Uh, I like the business. It's, it's exciting. It's, it's fun to come to work every day. And I really wasn't looking to sell. Um, but I think there was a couple of things that happened that, uh, for me, made that decision a little bit easier. Uh, and it is, a, it is a hard decision, I think, for any business owner to to make that decision to either merge or be acquired or, or you know, potentially even acquire at another firm. Uh, and for me, with priority, it was a high level of trust in the management team. And so I, I knew for myself that I wasn't going to go and sell this business uh, to private equity, for instance. That's just not something that I was interested in. But you know, certainly knowing John Bick and, and Brandon Schwertner and a lot of the management team for a long time, uh, it, it made that decision a little bit easier for me. And also the, the understanding that we had that the Satori brand, we would continue, um, that you know my team would be in the same place that they were, everybody would be the same or better. Um, so obviously no one lost their job because of it. In fact, quite the opposite, more people got more opportunities uh, as being part of a lower, uh, being part of a, a larger company. Um, so I've seen some of the lower level employees take on additional things. Um, one of my employees, I think that you've met and had dinner with Nathan Giebel, and he was promoted to uh, VP of energy services. And we started to build out that uh, arm of the company. So for me, it was really about opportunity, not only for our team and, and our employees, but also our clients. You know, if we could take what we've done and uh, offer some additional services that priority uh, has the ability to offer in terms of whether it's building a community solar project or it's uh, building an infrastructure project or it's carbon uh, accounting. You know, some of those things that we just weren't really going to get to on our own. Uh, that, that was for me kind of the main reason. And I can say two and a half years later uh, that it's been a pretty smooth transition. You know, there's, there's nothing that's perfect. Um, but I, I can say that Priority and the folks on, on that side certainly have kept their word in how we're going to market. And I think it's been a very synergistic uh, relationship for both sides. And, and I'm excited about the future. I mean, there's, 
there, this business is changing so quickly and so rapidly uh, that we're going to be doing things in three, four years that we haven't even thought of today. Uh, and I'm excited about that. So talk a little bit about that. Um, is there more M&A in your future? D drive in a little more. What, what specifically are you most excited about as you look to the next three, five, 10 years? Yes. Um, so there, there will be more M&A. And certainly uh, since in the last 18 months, I think we've priorities done six deals. And so there will certainly be more. You know, we, we have a platform uh, that, that we developed at Satori and, and now enhanced with priority where we can onboard uh, various groups and make that you know, my team has been through it 13, 14, 15 times now. Sure. Uh, they've, they've got that down. Uh, so we're, we're pretty efficient in terms of that and, and certainly making it uh, a, a easy transition for those for, for the targets or for the, for the firm that's being acquired. Um, there's, there's a lot of hesitancy there. And so there might be some feeling of, of un uncomfortability. So there might be some uncomfortable feelings. And so we want to make sure that that's as smooth as it can be. Um, so I, I definitely think there will be more M&A. Uh, the, the rate and pace of change is, is happening so quickly. Um, I think we'll, we'll maybe pro probably talk a little bit more about solar and the Inflation Reduction Act later, but I think that there's going to be continued opportunities that come out of that. And if you think about how all of these companies in our business manage data, to me, that's where the, the, the real opportunity lies. Um, because if you don't have good data, it's hard to make good business decisions uh, and the opportunities will come up. It's how quickly can these firms uh, process that data and put themselves in a position to be successful when making tough decisions. So uh, there will continue to be change, um, but certainly excited about those challenges and, and opportunities that, that await us in the future. Well, it's apparent to me anyways that you've absolutely you know, done a great job of sort of evolving uh, with the business and with the needs of your customers, frankly. Uh, and you mentioned Nathan, who runs your energy services division, great guy, and have been really impressed what you all have done there. And I think that's just sort of one example. But talk a little bit more about the suite of services that you offer your clients and the different things you can do with them besides just the procurement and how that's evolved, or as we like to say on the show, renewed itself over the course of the last three years or 20 years? Yes, well, it certainly has renewed itself over time. Uh, if I think back to the early days, we would literally get a FedEx paper proposal, and then we would assemble PowerPoint presentations for every single client that we would go to. Uh, so that, that has changed significantly over the past 23 years. Now, uh, with you know, everything electronic and, and you know, almost real time, uh, it's it's amazing. So the the focus of in the main business is is really surrounded and surrounded um, the focus or the main business is really on energy procurement or energy structuring, um, mostly electricity, also natural gas, uh, and then a, a couple of other small smaller commodities as well. Um, that's really where our focus is. However. As, as we've seen with some more focus on ESG movement, there are clients that want to go green. And, and what does going green mean? It, it means different things to different people. Um, but now we can certainly assist with behind the meter solar, with community solar, 
with carbon accounting, uh, with, with other tracking in terms of scope one and scope, scope two emissions, and how we can bring those solutions to clients are, are certainly different today than they were two, three, four years ago. Um, I think they're going to continue to, to evolve and change in the future. And that's one of the neat things about being at a relatively smallish company is that you can be nimble and change and offer products and services that really meet the needs of, of your clients. And that's how I started the business, you know, 20 some years ago. Uh, and that's how we continue to operate today. You know, what is that client looking for? We may not be the solution every single time, but if we can if we can pinpoint and say, all right, here here's where your pain points are. We can do these three things, X, Y, and Z. This other thing, you know, is not in our wheelhouse, but here's a partner that we could probably you know work with to, to bring that solution to you. Uh, that's the exciting thing for me. It's it's the problem solving and critical thinking piece of the business that gets really, really exciting. Sure. So safe to say a lot has changed, but a lot has stayed the same as well. And uh, we, of course, met via TIPA, the Energy Professionals Association. Uh, I believe, I don't know if this is the correct term or not, but I believe you were a founding member. Um, and talk a little bit about that. I've heard several people in that organization call you a pioneer. So my first question is, how does it feel to be called a pioneer of something? <laughs> well... I guess it makes me feel old, uh, <laughs> and I'm not sure that I'm, I'm really a, a pioneer. Uh, I will say I feel lucky and fortunate uh, enough to be in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, certainly saw an opportunity and and that the market really needed, and had a couple of uh, key items that fell into place. So, TIPA is is a great organization. And you know, deregulation was still really in its infancy at that point. The early years, you know, say 2004 to 2005, uh, there were some suppliers that wanted to kind of squeeze advisors and brokers and consultants, ABCs, out of the market. And so we organized uh, and mobilized a group of maybe six or seven of the larger broker shops in Texas. I believe I filed the original uh, documents in 20, 2004. Um, and then I'll, I'll give a quick shout out to Shelby Puckett and Constellation for hosting the first meeting. Um, certainly as the organization grew, we began to have annual conferences. I think I was amazed and, and shocked uh, that we had, uh, I think it was 89 people at the first annual conference. And over time, uh, that's grown. I think the last couple conferences, we've had 350 or 375 or, or maybe 400 attendees or signups, which is just amazing. Um, in 2007, I go down this timeline, David, I think about there were similar type legislative language that came about in Illinois that attempted to squeeze ABCs out of the market. And so at that time, um, more than 50% of my business was located in Illinois, um, got a couple of other uh, key members uh, of, of that ABC community together in Illinois. And then we, found a, we founded a LIPA that was really based on the same principles of TIPA, making sure that the market uh, was sustainable for the ABC channel. Uh, we, you know, I firmly believe that we bring value to the marketplace and, and to, to customers. And so making sure that we have a level playing field, that we can continue to provide those 
services to clients and, and products to clients and be part of the market is, is certainly something that I was interested in doing. And so we operated Alipa as a separate organization and then merged uh, with TIPA in 2017. Um, as TIPA continued to grow, uh, this was uh, there's certainly economies of scale and it was you know only a matter of time until it really made sense to do that. Uh, so certainly happy that we did that. Um, worked with Greg Beckert and the Energy Professionals of Ohio organization um, in the early years as, as Greg was thinking about, you know, what do we need in Ohio? Uh, and then that EPO group recently merged into TIPA as well. So uh, it is um, proud, you know, it's a proud, it's proud, it's a pride thing for me that I'm, I'm honored to be associated with, with TIPA from the beginning. Uh, and it's, you know, something that I'm thankful for and grateful for to see it continue to grow over the years. You know, it's a volunteer organization, as you know, so a lot of people have put time into it. Uh, and it's just gratifying to me to see how far it's come uh, since 2004. Yeah, that's great. And I, I um, big shout out to Shannon, who does a great job running TIPA. There's, the events are always great, always well attended. I'll be going to DC here in a couple of weeks. I don't know if I'll see you there or not, but um, certainly I've been to Illinois this year and New York City as well, which is actually where we originally met. And just all really good shows and really interesting to hear kind of state by state, some of the nuance and some of the different things that different markets are, are dealing with. So uh, we're, we're very proud to be a part of that organization and very appreciative of that organization. Um, so I have to be a little bit self-serving here and talk about uh, renewable energy and on-site generation. You touched on it a little bit earlier, but talk about from your perspective you know, I guess the shift, if there has been a shift uh, with your customers and we have the Inflation Reduction Act, which of course was passed into law last year, which has put some additional tailwinds uh, behind, you know, adopting renewable energy. Talk a little bit about that, how you're positioning the company in the market uh, to be successful for clients who are, you know, interested in developing on-site generation going forward. That's a it's a great topic, and I know that there's a lot of uh, information out there, and so this is something that clients, as they think about those things and they see whether it's headlines or they read an article, you know, really understanding what that means for them, uh, there is definitely a, a great need in the marketplace to make sure that the information that clients are seeing is uh, is accurate and is precise. Um, there's you know some proposals that we've seen out there where. You know, people are making large assumptions, which just isn't accurate at all. Uh, and and in any new industry, you're gonna you're gonna find that you're gonna have a you know good good group of people that do things the right way, and then you're gonna have some some cowboys out there uh, as well. Um, so going back to your question, certainly our clients, I think first and foremost, <clears throat> kind of falls into two buckets. One is I want to get the lowest cost that I can. You know, I don't want to pay more. Doesn't matter what it is. And so there's a certain subset of clients in that bucket where solar behind the meter makes a whole lot of sense, uh, especially in some states where you've got not only the federal uh, credits, but you've got state incentives or utility municipal municipalities incentives in some some areas. Uh, and then obviously the value of the of the SRECs makes a big difference. So 
certainly where where we are in our home state of Illinois, uh, great great state for a lot of different things, but certainly incentives for solar is one of the one of the top ones in the nation. Uh, and so Priority Power is building behind the meter solar sites, and we've done this for a number of clients, and we've got a number of additional uh, projects in process right now. Uh, and then the way that Satori is going to the market is more in that consulting or um, advisory role where we're not necessarily building the plant at all. Uh, we're helping the client go through that process very similar to our um, product and service offering with the, the, the procurement or the energy structuring. So I think the, the second bucket of customers uh, is are those that have certain ESG goals. Or you think about the city of Boston or Cambridge, and they're passing certain standards that they need to have for any uh, facility, organization, institution that's located um, in their jurisdiction. So those, those folks have a mandate where they have to do something. Um, you know, the other piece is not a mandate, but hey, if I can save money by doing this, um, I'm not selling this building for the next 30 years or uh, maybe it's a municipality. We're going to be here. It's got good credit. They're not going anywhere. Uh, they're certainly a candidate as well. So I see, you know, with, with some of the winter storm Uri and we've got, you know, outages and reliability piece. There's, you know, there's some appeal to that, especially if you pair a battery system with it. Um, but I just think as this becomes more mainstream, we're going to see more and more of it in the, in the marketplace. I think early on, and you might remember this, some clients, well, is that going to encumber the sale of this asset if I have solar panels on the roof? And I don't think the discussion really occurs anymore. Is that going to encumber the sale? It's more, is this going to add value to my asset by having this? As it becomes more mainstream, we're going to see more and more you know, thought process like that. So um, it's, it's exciting. It's an exciting time. Uh, just like when things deregulated and there was this new change of, of how things were in the past, uh, we're seeing that now with solar. And I think the Inflation Reduction Act really paves the way for the next 10 years where there's not this, oh, well, what's what's the ITC credit? Is it going down or do I need to get it done by this this date? Or, you know, it, it, it removes that, which I think will certainly be good for the industry. Yeah, we call it the solar coaster. It's a lot of up and down and you're not sure what it, you know, you know what it is today, but not sure what it's going to be next year. And uh, you got to get your project done by a certain date to make sure you're not putting the credits in jeopardy. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. It certainly has paved the way, you know, for the next decade and, and um, hopefully beyond. Um, I'm curious just in some of the projects you all have looked at. And by the way, if anyone in Illinois is listening to this, uh, call David or call myself. There are a lot of really strong state incentives, as you mentioned, one of the strongest storage, energy storage incentives in the country. So a lot of good opportunities in Illinois right now and a lot of great projects being developed there. Uh, and I think you hit the nail on the head too, just in terms of who can really benefit from that on-site generation the most, the folks who have a good location, they don't plan to leave uh, for a long time going forward. Um so I my my last question, uh, and then we'll kind of wrap up here, is just you know our listeners and viewers. I, I think a lot of folks, uh, particularly those in regulated states, might feel like 
there's not a whole lot they can do about their energy consumption or the cost of their power. And across the board, particularly in the last couple of years since COVID, we've seen energy prices uh, go up quite a bit. They've settled down a little bit, but but still increasing at a, in some places, alarming pace. What can our listeners and viewers do right now to improve their energy usage or efficiency or strategy going forward? Well, that's a great question. And I think, you know, if I think about our clients and folks that we worked with over the years, um, you know, different clients have different ways that they go about managing this risk and the, their energy spend. And so I think the last word that you said, strategy, is the most important because ultimately, if you don't have a strategy, you're never going to be able to compare how you did to anything. You, you have to have some firm numbers and some goals to be able to, to really make good comparisons and use data and make good business decisions. So uh, if I think about your listeners that are maybe in a regulated state, what can they do? Um, you know, Certainly energy efficiency and any anything that they can do to reduce their consumption. You know, it might be in a residential home, uh, a smart thermostat that allows them to program if when they're there, when they're not there. Um, that certainly are easy things. I, I certainly think in those regulated states for CNI customers or governmental customers that don't have choice, well, the more that they can do to be proactive, whether it's behind the meter solar, uh, or it's some other behind the meter uh, distributed generation where they can actually take control of that, it will give them a better line of sight into the future because we know that over time, those utility rates are gonna go up 3% a year, 2.5% a year. And so if you can take action uh, to, to really provide a, a constant cost over the, over the future, you know, that's gonna add value for, for your institution, your organization, whatever CNI. Um, customer that you that you may be representing. Um, also, I think as there are is there's more smart meters that hit the market, where uh, engineers, facility managers can actually track. Maybe not in real time, but maybe closer to real time. Where are we hitting those peaks, and and what can we do to avoid those peaks? Um, some of your listeners, you know, probably know about a demand charge, uh, where a customer gets billed at its highest peak demand for the month, even if they only hit it for 15 minutes. And so I, I really think, especially in regulated states, um, those types of customers, if they can identify where the peaks are and then do what we call as peak shaving, so reduce those peaks, uh, they're going to be able to save money and energy uh, throughout that process. Lots of different, um, lots of different strategies, lots of different variations. Um, but it's really picking something, I think, or starting with one thing that's right for each customer, doing that, and then going on to the next thing. And, and there will be continued evolution, I think, in, um, in innovation in terms of products and services. We didn't have smart uh, technology as far as uh, smart thermostats 20 years ago. Now we do. We're going to probably have something else in five years uh, that's going to give customers even more control. So... Um, exciting times in the industry, David, as you mentioned, lots of change and certainly looking forward to the future. Absolutely. Well, David, it's been truly a pleasure to get to know you and look forward to 
um, you know, continuing to develop our relationship going forward. You're doing an amazing job for a lot of customers across the country. And I'm, I'm really, really appreciative of you taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the podcast and, and talk a little bit about yourself and your company. Um, so how can our listeners and viewers get in touch with you or find you online if um, one of the nuggets of information that you've shared here has piqued their interest? you, David. And I, I wanted to say it's really been a pleasure being on today. I think your your podcast helps to, to raise awareness in the industry. And that's the way that things are going to get better. When people have education and access to information, it will help them make better decisions for themselves, for their business, for the environment. The list goes on and on. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, listeners, uh, I will uh, provide in the show notes um, I'm on LinkedIn, David Weirs, uh, PriorityPower.com, uh, SatoriEnergy.com. And please reach out if there's something that I can help help you with. I uh, would love to hear from you. And uh, David, thanks again. It's really been a pleasure being here. I appreciate everything that you do. Absolutely. And thank you for the kind words to our listeners and viewers. Of course, thank you. For, you're the ones that really make this possible. Appreciate you tuning in week after week. We have a lot of great episodes uh, continuing to come up here in season four. So stay tuned. Make sure you click that follow button wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am David Smart, Chief Commercial Officer at Biostar Renewables. And this has been another episode of Renewables. Thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America.